Hi, I'm Sien Xiao. And I'm Sammy Winemaker. We talk to people who have information and tips on how to unlock a better illness experience. The waiting room revolution starts right now. Welcome back to the waiting room revolution. We are very excited to have Shandy Alexander here today. She is a child life specialist from the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, Ontario. She's also a grief support counselor and a community psychosocial support provider with the pediatric advanced care team called PACT. So Shandy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Sien and Sammy. Welcome. I think to our listeners, it'd be great to start with, what does a child life specialist do? Great question. So it's a really long answer. I'm going to give you the short answer is child life specialists are healthcare providers, healthcare professionals who help support children, adolescents and families as they navigate the process of illness or injury, disability, trauma or hospitalization. Maybe I could just add that uh, I think as uh, healthcare providers, as caring human beings, as parents, we often shelter kids from difficult things. And we know that at the hospital, there's often things that can be difficult. And so we like kind of, it's innate, we shelter and protect kids from hard things. And Mm -hmm. as child life specialists, we really advocate for include and support. And Mm -hmm. we know that including and supporting um, increases resiliency, coping, and helps kids be active participants in their care instead of passive observers, which mm-hmm. a passive observer is more like a victim and, um, and mm-hmm. an active participant has more control. Mm-hmm. I think that probably resonates with a lot of the themes in your podcast. Yeah, for sure it would resonate. Shandy, I know you've listened to season one of our podcast. What was your reaction? It was like mind-blowing. I Actually, I can't even tell you the waiting room revolution. Like, I'm always like go with my like, advocate I, I try to be a fierce advocate for like including and supporting kids right I'm really try to like raise my voice to this because mm-hmm. I feel so passionate about it mm-hmm. and then when I heard your podcast I was like wait this is happening to adults that are seriously mm-hmm. ill too like mm-hmm. they're in the dark mm-hmm. and you're trying to teach them that they can be in the know and I was like so many kids are in the dark mm-hmm. and I'm trying to help them be in the know. So I was like, yeah, I, I yeah, I, everything you said resonated so much. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I work in people's homes, as you know, Shandy, and there's often little elephants in the room, you know, those being the children. And you're right. The natural instinct is always to send them down the street or shoo them out of the room or everyone gets tight-lipped when they, when they um, enter into the room. Um, but you can tell that many children are curious about what's happening in the room of the person who's unwell and they're drawn to the room. So people often ask me as the palliative care doctor, what should we do with the children? And uh, I do my very best to answer the question, but always wish that I had a child life specialist um, that I could bring into the homes. And in my region, we don't. Um, Unless the child is ill and at our local children's hospital, we really have a hard time accessing child life specialists. So what's the deal there? Are there not enough of you? (laughs) 
well, I mean, I'm a little biased, but yeah, I don't think there's enough of us. But I think um, what I try to do is kind of like, yes, similar to your path is I'm trying to educate other healthcare providers Mm -hmm. about the importance of including and supporting kids and how to start those conversations and how to empower families to have those conversations. Because I think people are really scared about doing it wrong. I think I was really inspired by your podcast and not just going to the professionals. And so I've actually started doing some webinars directly with the parents uh, and talking directly to them to empower them. Cause I, I do that in my job. I do one offs, but, um, but really trying to get to a larger audience in a, maybe a less uh, stressful way. Okay. One of the things that I wanted to say is I, l- I think it's so interesting because I know we're going to focus on children, but so often, so many of the questions we've had is about the kind of person you are and if you really are an information seeker. But to me, that's, it's not so black and white. I mean, there really is this idea of giving people, uh, I'm going to use the word age appropriate information, but readiness appropriate information as well. Like depending on where they're at, we can use language that makes them feel comfortable wherever they are in the journey. And I think it does us a disservice if we're sort of saying, oh, this person wants to know they don't want to know. I think we mm-hmm. always should be inviting people to come to the conversation, but mm-hmm. using language that's appropriate to where they're at and what they feel comfortable comfortable with so they get it and they can be included. So I really think this idea of talking about age is just a, a natural way that people will get it. But actually across ages, there's this idea of using language that meets people so that they can they can be as active as they want to be. Yeah, it's it's 100%. It's like we talk a lot about taking kids lead, but kids have never dealt with this before, right? And they don't have as much life experience to even pull from in these these situations. So mm-hmm. be it that their body is seriously ill or their siblings or a family member, mm-hmm. um, we can't just take their lead cuz they don't know how to lead that. Mm-hmm. But we can lead the way and take their lead. So how do we open the door? And I call it the three W's. Mm -hmm. So just checking in with their wonders, their worries, and their wishes. And Mm -hmm. that really opens the door to figure out where they're at. And then we can be taking their lead and leading the way. And there's sometimes information that just needs to be shared, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not, they won't know to ask the question, but they're going to be feeling different in their body, or they might be seeing a lot of big things going on in their house, uh, big motions, big conversations, you know, wondering, did I do something wrong or mm-hmm. what's going on? Um, and then um, it's really important to, to share a bit. We're a family and there's some hard things going on and let mm-hmm. us share a little bit about what's going on. And then let's check in around your wonders, worries, and wishes. I love that three W's. I'm going to start using that right away. Is that okay? Please. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because, you know, the irony of this idea of protecting your children from um, big, bad, scary things is that, you know, in my world, in palliative care, it's going to happen. So you can't protect them forever. And it'll be more shocking, like a sudden death uh, versus being able to... um, exploit the time ahead uh, to help prepare a young one um, to adjust as best they can for what inevitably is going to happen. So whether a parent is going to die or a sibling is going to die, you cannot hide that part. 
Yeah. And, and I, I mean, your, your episode on zoom out, you know, how you're moving people from being unaware, unaware to informed really Mm -hmm. spoke to kind of a lot of my focus with kids too, because as I was mentioning, you know, kids are feeling it all ages. Mm-hmm. I can give you some examples. You know, I worked with a three-year-old and uh, her her sibling was in the other room, um, very ill and close to end of life. And it's a three-year-old. So everybody was dismissing this three-year-old for really, they figured, didn't know a lot about what was going on. Mm-hmm. And we just played. We were playing doctor. She had a minion doll and she kept doing heart transplants. She kept mm-hmm. taking the heart out putting a new heart in, taking the heart mm-hmm. out, putting a new heart in. And just sitting with her in her play, she told me that she was trying to fix their broken hearts. Wow. So she wow. heard everybody has a broken heart in her family. They're oh. heartbroken, right? She hears things. She sees the sadness. She sees her brother and his body changing. She doesn't mm-hmm. understand what's going on, but she's like, I need to fix this. I need to help. And she's practicing doing heart surgery, right? Oh, my goodness. How do you handle it all? Uh, You know, I I feel so privileged in these spaces to be able to help a bit. You know, we don't have control over many things. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I can hopefully help make the experience for a family a bit better and help give parents tools to support their kids because they don't need to be damaged because of hard, difficult life events. They can mm-hmm. actually build family coping mechanisms mm-hmm. and help kids when they are in the presence of their parents, learn how to be more resilient and learn how to get through tough things. Because mm-hmm. when they're adults, they don't have as many people around them that are as supportive right beside them mm-hmm. right so how do I deal with it one it's not my story it's I'm it's not about me and I actually think that helps me keep in check about really offering service to the people that I'm present with mm-hmm. because it's not about me it's not mm-hmm. about my values it's not about what I would do in those situations it's really about each family each child where they're at and how I can support them in that mm-hmm Mm-hmm. First of all, I love that because I think we've talked a lot about um, doctors coming in with their own agenda and not checking in with the patient or family mm-hmm. or in this child, the child's agenda and really listening and being present of where they're at and to your saying, what are they, what's on their mind, you know? Um, but, but I had this question because you talked about Zoom out, but I really thought given the, there's so much uncertainty, especially with kids, and there's a big hope. So I wondered if walk two roads, like how much more difficult is that to do as a child life specialist? Because there are opportunities for really great advances, but there's also, you know, the stakes are just, they just feel so much higher. So does, does that walking two roads, is that practicing that? Is it just that much more difficult when you're in a hospital for sick kids? I think it's actually the most important thing, especially when you're dealing with serious illness. Because we know when you're dealing with serious illness, there are two roads that can happen, right? That's just the reality. We can really hope that your child will get better or that you as a child will get better. And we can be really worried about if you can't or we, you have the kind of sick that we're concerned that we can't make all better. And um, uh, 
the team I work with, um, they call themselves hopeful warriors. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really neat way mm -hmm. to present it to families. And so mm -hmm. they're like hopeful that they'll have a cure or comfort or compassion, whatever they're, wherever they're at in their illness journey. Um, but we feel worried uh, about the what ifs, you know, what if your child's pain is impacting their quality of life? Mm -hmm. What if, you know, you need to stay at the hospital for three weeks for this medicine and all you want to do is play with your friends, you know, really educating kids that, and, and helping parents realize that we can, you know, do those two roads. We can, worry about things and we can wonder about things and we can wish for things. And that's why the three W's work, right? Because mm -hmm. it actually um, gives space for all of those things. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to add, uh, if it's okay, um, I'm sure you've heard this, you know, parents say, if I tell them, they will think about it all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think parents think that because I think for adults in our adult brain, when we're dealing with really hard stuff, we kind of think about it all the time, right? Mm -hmm. It keeps up, us up at night. We think about it. We just can't stop. And there's this great analogy in grief around how for adults, when they're grieving, they're, it's like they're in a river. Sometimes the water level's high and they feel like they're drowning. And other times the water level's low and they're like, you know, coping and doing all right, but they're still in the river. Uh, and for kids, it's like puddle jumping. And so mm -hmm. they'll jump in the puddle and they can feel just as big feelings as an adult. Mm -hmm. And then they'll jump out of the puddle and they'll be like, you know, can we play this or what's for dinner or just want to be kids. Mm -hmm. So reminding parents that kids are different. I kind of sometimes wish I could be a puddle jumper. Um, but even not just in grief, but when we're dealing with difficult things, uh, you know, if we tell them difficult stuff, it does not mean they're going to be in the river with us. They mm -hmm. want to do the job of kids. They want to play and learn and grow. And they're not going to just be stuck. They'll ask a few questions maybe, and then jump out of the puddle. And later on when they're in the puddle, they might ask a couple more questions or be sad or angry or mm -hmm. whatever they want to be. I love your use of analogies because we use them all the time throughout the podcast, but that one was awesome. The river versus the puddles. Yeah. I, I, I really use analogies as well in my work and in my brain to help yeah. me out. I was going to say that I, I, my experience has been, and it's not the same as both of you as clinicians, but when we avoid talking about it, they think about it more. And even if we don't talk about it, they still, especially kids, they understand what is happening. So, mm -hmm. and every patient, even adults, when, you know, when they're by themselves, when they turn off the lights, they're thinking about this. So when we say, oh, let's not talk about it. We're avoiding, we're not really avoiding it. It's the elephant in the room. Everybody knows it's there. It's just, we're not, by not talking about it, we aren't, we're just not sharing in the conversation and sharing in, you know, the problem solving, I guess, but it's not making it go away in my, in, in my, you know, experience anyways. We, we can actually cause harm. I hate to say it, mm -hmm. but we can cause harm. And, and like, if kids are feeling big things in their body, in their family, it can be very isolating mm -hmm. to not talk about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And they don't have space to work through, through their emotions or their feelings. And then how do they even learn to trust their own perceptions, right? So, 
And it also gives kids an opportunity to prioritize their time and complete important tasks, right? Mm -hmm. So parents have this like feeling that they have to have all the answers, but actually if they open the conversation, kids will usually tell them what they need and what they want. And it takes a lot of pressure off of the parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Shane D, can I tell you what I usually tell people? And you can tell me if you can course correct me. Okay. Please. Okay. So when people ask me about what should we do about our children, it's usually around the topic of an adult family member, a parent passing away in the near future. Um, So what I tell them is that the literature suggests that, um, well, first of all, every child is different um, and their need for information and readiness, like CN said, is different. The most important thing you can do is invite them to ask questions. Um, so it, that sort of um, sets an openness, a space for them to feel that they are uh, part of this story and um, you can calibrate as a parent how much um, they want to be involved or not if you just invite them. Invite them to ask questions, invite them to be in the room, don't shoo them away, don't hide them. And I go on to explain that children who have been shooed away are still going to be struck with the shocking experience of the person passing. And they will fare better around the death of the loved one if they have been allowed to decide how much they wanted to be involved before the death. It's healthier around the actual death and afterwards. And then I also go on to say that as adults, when they grow up, looking back in the past, they can often say how resentful they are If they've been one of those kids that have been shooed away at grandma's house or, you know, go encouraged to go to the park when their mom was dying and that they wish they could take that all back because um, they're resentful as adults, that that's what the adults in their life did. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't know if you have any comment about that or you need to course correct me at all, but. I, I think it's it's a hundred percent accurate and correct and so lovely and so important to take the time to do it. The only thing I would add mm-hmm. is not just uh, checking in around their questions, mm-hmm. but opening, leading the way for um, information sharing. So it would be not just like, what are you wondering about? Or what are mm-hmm. your questions? I like wonders more than questions because questions are yes and no. It's kind of like school mm-hmm. wonders are could be anything that mm-hmm. they're wondering about um, or matching them. You know, they could be wondering what's for dinner. They could be wondering who's going to take me to school. If mom dies, mm-hmm. will I still get to go to school? Mm-hmm. Right. You just wonders are just kind of open-ended, mm-hmm. but um, okay. So for example, like to, to go off of what you shared, um, you could welcome your child. You could say, there's a lot of machines in this room mm-hmm. with your brother and a lot of them are helping your brother in different ways. Would you like me to explain what they're doing? Or, you know, and then the child's going to be like, no, I don't want that information. Or they could be like, yeah, tell me more. So instead of just ask questions, because they just don't always know what questions mm-hmm. to ask. And parents are so scared of the questions they're going to ask. They're so scared that sometimes they'll be like, okay, they have no questions. And the mm-hmm. kids sometimes can 
read that in the room and then kind of know, oh, I shouldn't ask any questions mm-hmm. or I'm my mom and dad have enough they're dealing with. So hmm. I, I'm not going to bug them with any of my worries. So I guess the thing I would just add to all of that mm-hmm. would be, let's share a little bit about what's going on. You know, mm-hmm. grandpa has the kind of sick that we're feeling really worried that we can't make all better, mm-hmm. but he'll always be cared for. And he'll, we'll always be connected to him as a family. Mm-hmm. How would you like to connect to grandpa? Mm-hmm. Would you like to draw him a picture? Would you like to? So just offering mm-hmm. suggestions along with that opportunity to be included. It's only been less than 30 minutes and I've already picked up a whole handful of pearls from you. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, that one way for me to lead um, the sharing would be to you know, to suggest that the parents might ask, you know, um, you know, are you wondering why mama has a needle in her arm or why her medication is being given that way now or why a hospital bed has come? So it's not good enough just to say, do you have any questions or do you have any wonders, which I do like the wonders, but to also begin to share. That's right. Yeah. And it's not a disclosure. Adults know that they get disclosures, right? And those are really intense and scary. It's a conversation mm-hmm. and it can come out in bits and pieces and it opens the door for the next question or when the child's in the puddle. Mm-hmm. It just, it's just, that's the thing. Instead of shooing them away, it's, it's including them and supporting where they're, them when they're at, where they're at and little bits of information because mm-hmm. then you're right at the time when you're like, so you're, you're, the person you care about's body is in a place where the medicine can't keep them alive anymore. Then they're already on that journey and they'll be like, okay, things have changed. So mm-hmm. now my job is, you know, to, you know, take pictures together because mm-hmm. I'm only five. And when I'm 25, I'm going to want to remember that I was right here holding this person's hand. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it can be like, it can be simple little things that are mm-hmm. going to really help them later on in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm getting shivers because that's exactly my experience, right? My mom died when I was 10 and in the last two, month or two weeks to a month, she was in the hospital and they know the doctors didn't want to tell us that this was the end. Her family was flying in from Singapore. They were really pushing for the information only after cornering the oncologist to be like, we need, if this is the end, we need to know because people want to be here. And they didn't tell us. And then only my cousins who flew in told me that this, you need to know. And once it's sort of the meaning making that Sammy talks about, like if I didn't contextualize that hospital visit to be different than all the others, we wouldn't have made the decision to sleep over that night when she passed. We wouldn't have thought of those times like holding on to those memories just that much harder, like, you know, holding on to them that much more because recognizing that, no, this is it. Like this is different than the other times. So anyway. Yeah. And why would you know, right? Like people assume, people assume things all the time, always in good intention. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I was working with a nine-year-old with a brain tumor and, um, I think she had been in remission and the brain tumor had come back and she was starting to walk differently, see differently. And 
they were a private family. And even when I checked in with the nine-year-old about her wonders, worries, and wishes, she was like, no, I don't have any, you know, let's play, (laughs) which is just fine. That's where she was at. Um, But then mom called me one day and said, you know, so-and-so is asking a lot of questions about heaven and the afterlife. You know, do you think she knows she's dying? Right. And so I I met with them um, and we chatted and I said, you know, mom said, you've been asking a lot of questions about life and death. And she said, yeah, I've been researching. I've been learning about um, all different cultures and religions and what they believe in. And I said, you know, those are very confusing things, even for adults, you know, or have you been wondering about your own body or feeling worried about your own body? And then she said, not really. And so I said, would you like to know what other kids with the same kind of sick wonder about? So that was it, right? It couldn't be about her. She didn't want to talk about her. And she said, yeah, I do. And I said, some kids wonder if they have the kind of sick that's hard to make better. And so she said, she said, is my tumor back? Okay, so there you go. Mm -hmm. That was the opening to find out where she was at. Mm -hmm. She she didn't she felt all these things changing in her body. I don't know if she was curious about afterlife and death because of her illness or just because she's nine and people are curious. Then we knew where she was at. She didn't know she was her tumor was back or she was wondering about her tumor being back. And we could start there. Mm -hmm. Many people believe that children naturally um, can pick up on something major going on and they're not as oblivious as adults think they are. Kids know what's they okay. So kids feel, but they don't always know, right? So, with any life event, kids will feel it, and we usually take it upon ourselves to educate them and partner with them and use it as a learning opportunity, right? That's what parents do. We try to shape people into young adults, um, but they don't. Doesn't mean they know. They're not adults. They don't have adult brains. But I will tell you, there are like. I've coined them the six C's. Um, they were not mine originally. I think they started as three and then four, um, but I'll take credit for six. Uh, and um, these are things we know kids wonder about just because we've talked to lots of different kids. So kids wonder uh, what's it called. You have to name it. Uh, so, so there's all different kinds of sick And a lot of people just say, you know, grandma's sick, but that's not enough information because everybody gets sick at some point. And if they watch grandma get really sick and go in and out of the hospital and then all of a sudden mom's sick and they're like, "Uh oh, now mom's going to die or mom's going to be really sick. Um, So they have to know it's it's really good to give it a name. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense, Shandy. Uh, What are the other C's? Did I cause it? Kids wonder. They think sometimes that the world revolves around them, that thoughts or feelings can influence things in their life. So they might wonder, you know, there's something big going on. Is this my fault? Did I cause it? So I always check in with them and say, you know, thoughts or feelings or words didn't cause this. You know, sometimes kids might have never wanted a baby brother and then their baby brother comes out and needs a lot of medical attention and is seriously ill. And they think, oh, crap, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Right? So mm-hmm. like, even if they're not asking that, so I know we talk a lot about checking with kids and meeting them where they're at. But these are just universal 
when I meet with a kid, a child, I talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I catch it? Especially in a world of pandemic world, kids are wondering, can I catch it? And if a child's seriously ill, they wonder, can I give it to somebody else? Because they don't want somebody else to have the kind of sick that they have, right? So always make sure if it's not contagious, that they know. And if it is, how do we keep each other safe? Mm. Uh, is it my job to cure it? Mm. Right? So they think I'm the big brother, you know, I, I'm responsible, and I need to make this right. Mm. Or, or, you know, am I, I, I really don't like the taste of this medicine, and I'm not taking it all the time. Am I, is this my fault? Right. Mm-hmm. So they're not, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people on their team, doctors and nurses and family members that are all working as hard as they can to make your body the best that it can be. And it's not your job to make it all better. Okay. And then care. You will always be cared for. Right. So along this journey, there are lots of caring for pe- people in your life and you'll always be cared for. So kids uh, that are ill, they might be like, wow, I have the kind of sick that I'm going to die from. Like, does that mean I'm going to be in pain? Does that mean it's going to be scary? Does that mean I'll never be connected to my parents again? So just telling them the ways that even if we can't make it all better, we're still always going to be beside you caring for you. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Or for a sibling, uh, they might be wondering, wow, life has changed a lot lately. And my parents are not the same. And they're not you know, now they're letting me watch TV all day and eat junk food. And I don't know if people are like looking out for me, right? Mm -hmm. And so helping them identify the big network, and I can't remember your term, but you had a term for the big network. What's that? The crew. Your crew. Yeah. Helping them identify their crew. And, and then they can know that, yeah, if mom and dad are feeling really sad one day, it's not because you did anything wrong. It's because, you know, your brother's really sick, but you can call your aunt or your grandfather mm-hmm. or check in with your teacher, your crew. Oh, excuse and, me. Oh, yeah. Crew starts with C. Oh, there you go. Just, I'm just going to, by the end of this, I'm going to have 10 C's. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one is connect. Mm-hmm. So you are always connected to the people that you care about no matter where this journey ends. So, you know, if you're apart because you're at the hospital and you're, well, somebody's at home, you're still connected to that people, the people that you love. And sometimes for kids, I'll use uh, items to help them show that or books to help explain that. So uh, we'll give the same stuffed animal to each of the siblings so that they can feel connected with a tangible Mm -hmm. item Mm -hmm. so they can give it a hug or whisper messages and then their other sibling Mm -hmm. will have the same one Mm -hmm. it works for adults as well Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's a great book called the invisible string that talks Mm -hmm. about that connection it's really interesting um, that you have these six c's that are a common um concerns oh that's C and C again. There's so many C. <laughs> Common concerns that um, that little ones have, right? And that they don't know to ask. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know what to ask. And it's interesting because I do the same thing in the adult world where 
I say to people, um, just so you know, uh, I've cared for lots of people in, you know, similar situations. And, um, you know, many people ask me the following questions. Some ask me this and some ask me that. And it's always on their mind, but they didn't know that they could ask, you know, Um, and it's such a relief when you offer that. It's again, like you were saying before, uh, initiating the sharing in a way. But can I ask, Shandy, can I ask, like, we've talked a lot about the kids, but how much would you say of your work is preparing siblings and, and the child itself versus the parents? How different is that? What is the approach that's different? I love partnering with parents because parents know their kids best. They know their family best and their values and they help their kids through so many things, but they're so scared. Right. And so ideally we just do it together. Like why should they, I think often teams will hand a parent like kind of like a handout or a booklet, how to talk to kids about serious illness. Mm -hmm. And then they'll be like, okay, go. And some parents can do that. No problem. Yep. They're like, here, thank you for the tools. I got this. And others are like terrified to do that. And so I I feel so privileged to be able to sit with families. And sometimes I say nothing, but I'm just there as like a cheerleader or to be like, oh, so I'm hearing this from your mom Mm -hmm. or wow, that was a lot of information. What did you hear about what mom was sharing with you? Right. Or, um, or creative ways to share information. Um, it's both, it's both. I spend time talking with parents. I spend time hanging out with kids and teenagers. I don't want to leave those teenagers out often. Um, they sometimes do get ignored, um, because they're too old or they get it, but honestly they need just as much support. Um, yeah. Another question I get often is, um, should our children go to the funeral? Yes. Okay, so here's the thing, right? Is that kids are products of their parents, right? Mm-hmm. And they want to please their parents. So if if a parent really doesn't want their child to go to the funeral, and then they ask their child in a certain way, you know, do you really want to go to this funeral? You know, there's gonna be a lot of sad people around, you know, they'll influence that. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I would say is, yes, as much as possible, include and support your kids in these life events. Mm-hmm. Life, like birth, death, these don't have to be as scary as maybe like history has made us feel like they have to be there. They do do happen. We all are born and we all die at some point Mm -hmm. and make a coping plan, Mm -hmm. make a plan. So yes, include kids in the funeral or the ceremony or whatever your, your family traditions are. And if your child needs a break, they should bring some coloring sheets or know which family member will step out with them if they don't want to be in that space. And mm-hmm. that's okay. So it's about including them and giving them control. Mm-hmm. And having an action plan for the what And having an action plan. Yeah, having a coping plan. Yeah. There's such uh, a gap, as you mentioned, uh, for accessing child life specialists in the community, uh, like we said uh, previously. What are some of the barriers, do you think, to, you know, having enough child life specialists? Is it people don't really understand 
what value you bring to the table? Is it a funding issue? What is it? I don't, I don't you know, I think I, I'd like to think year by year, it gets better and people understand our professional value that we can bring to the team and to kids. And, and I think for sure people are understanding the importance of giving children mental health supports or support in general, Mm -hmm. um, psychosocial support. I just think, you know, we like play is our modality, right? Mm -hmm. So when professionals see us blowing bubbles or playing monopoly or, Mm -hmm. you know, setting up a playroom, I think that people don't value play. They don't understand that that's a child's job. And it's, we're not just playing, we're playing doctor to find out, you know, oh, what, what part of that needle poke is scary so we can make a coping plan or we're, you know, playing, um, where we're playing Monopoly or cards and we're talking because kids don't want to just talk to an adult when we're talking about, Hey, you know, what's really important to you at this time? Mm -hmm. Or what are you wondering about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, to the untrained eye, it looks like you're a wonderful volunteer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we can't, and I wouldn't change that, Mm -hmm. you know, like that is genuine to the work we do, but there Mm -hmm. is a lot of value behind it. Um, I do believe that child life specialists are like trained even more to be advocates uh, and to speak up and do do presentations. And this is something I've been working on. Definitely was not something I'm comfortable with, uh, just like that's innate to me. But I guess that's it. It's like, if you're gonna, if you need to speak up on behalf of a child, then we're gonna speak up. Yeah. But we're not always the squeaky wheel, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually think so much of what you've talked about in terms of the principles, the way you phrase things would absolutely be applicable to the adult population. And in fact, mm-hmm. we should you know, be taking more of these ideas because mm-hmm. if we change the, even just the simple question of, hey, what questions do you have to, what are you worrying about? Or what's on your mind? That would change the number of people who ask questions. Because, And I'm a researcher. Like I spend so much time formulating a, a very clear question. Sometimes people don't know what is how to formulate the question, but they're mm-hmm. wondering about many different things that are on their mind. So mm-hmm. it's such a, it's such a different it's, it's the same question, but in a different words mm-hmm. means totally different things. But can I shift a little, cause I want to, I don't want to lose time to talk about grieving, especially during the pandemic. I mean, mm-hmm. there's going to be this wave of, of the aftermath, but I guess the question about, you know, your, your experience as a grief support counselor, like why, maybe the first question is why is that so important? It's so valuable to be able to talk and be heard. It's not rocket science, but it's, I think, really hard to find the space to do that for people that are grieving or dealing with hard things. There's lots of different personalities, Uh, you know, like I think some people try to fix it. We know that doesn't necessarily help, especially when something that can't be fixed. And um, some people minimize it, especially like with with everybody, not just kids. It's actually, you're right. The themes are the same. You know, they'll be like, you'll be like, uh, uh, I'm feeling really sad. Well, don't feel sad. You know, it's a beautiful day out, right? Well, that's not helpful, right? So I think the luxury of being a grief support coordinator, which I spent time doing, and I do, I, I did it with adults and children for a year at Sick Kids, but now I mostly focus on the children, is I'm just there to listen. And 
let people talk, process and talk without it being about me. And I that is, I didn't realize really until I was in the role that that's what people really need and to not be interrupted. And so the follow-up to that is, have, do you notice that there's less complex grief if people are exposed to certain things? You know, I kind of am, in some ways, our, our podcast was about all the things that didn't happen, and that's why they're what we were seeing, this complex grief. And I'm wondering from your experience, are there things that we can do that will lead to maybe a better grieving process? I think there still always will be a grieving process, but it just might look a little bit different. It may not be as... Um, as difficult and as, you know, it might even, I don't know. I'm just curious what you think. Are there sort of tips that you've learned? And maybe it's hard because you're the child life specialist and everyone you've seen has met you. And so they benefited from meeting you, but I wonder if, yeah. Yeah, no, it's kind of like, I guess it's like customize your order. Like, I think it's like for kids, just like have fun. Even if you're dealing with illness, it doesn't mean you should stop living, right? And so I think for the families, that can embrace life while dealing with serious illness, they can make memories together. They can celebrate good stuff. They just might have to do it differently. Right. And so I think sometimes people are so lost in their grief that they can't always see that even if we can't do this picnic exactly this way, what we could bring the picnic to the bedside and have this like moment as a family together. And then in the grief, you can reflect back and be like, look how we lived life together as full as we could till the last moments. And they, and you're, yeah, I do think it makes it a little less complicated when you can say, Hey, we, we don't have control over when life starts and stops but man, did we use our life well. Man, did we celebrate life together as a family. And that's exactly the same metaphor as walk two roads, right? You, in the face of, of dying or, or being sick or, or death, we have to live life. And that's the other road and making memories. And I can tell you some of our best memories are we, my mom, her on our bucket list was to go to Disneyland, Disneyland. And so... Yeah, we pushed around in her wheelchair the whole time, but we did it. We figured out a way to be there and and make it work. And, you know, she had to rest and nap and all the stuff. But whatever, like, that was that was we made it happen. So you, you have to find a way to keep living. I think that's what, you know, connects me to palliative care for sure. I'm a huge advocate for child life specialists now. It's my new thing. This has been the most incredible interview. Um, I've learned so much from you, Shandy. Um, I just want to continue to work with you for the rest of my life. <laughs> Shane D, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. It's so lovely to chat with you guys. Thank you for all the work you do. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website, waitingroomrevolution.com to listen to our first season about the seven keys and to learn more. The podcast is produced and edited by me and Kayla McMillan. Our theme music is Maypole by Ketza. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and help us get the word out.